Hey there, and welcome to Watering Seeds, a podcast ministry of Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church in Asheville, North Carolina, where we seek to discuss and apply our most recent sermon in our sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Today, we will be discussing Pastor Sean's sermon, Beware of the Leaven, uh, preached on Matthew 16, verses 1 through 12, which you can find on our website, covenantreform.net slash sermons, or you can find uh, us on sermonaudio.com by searching for Covenant Reformed Asheville. Here I am with the guy who preached this one himself. Sir, we're cooking in Matthew. How you doing? How do you feel like we're doing in Matthew? What's up? Back to Matthew. We've been yeah, away yeah. for a couple weeks. True. Big things happened while we were gone. I kept preaching Matthew. That is true. You did something more important, I feel like. I started Hosea in the evenings. It's <laughs> not what I was referring to. Oh, oh, you meant my uh, my wife gave birth to our second child. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, sweet Annie girl. That's right. So I got to preach to her, Matthew's gospel. True. Right? Was she in there? Uh, she has been in there every time since okay. her birth. That's right. Welcome, Annie, to the Matthew series. That's right. And uh, now baptized, too. So uh, got to do that on Sunday. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I feel like the Curtis family is just cooking now. <laughs> cooking with gas. Right. Love it. Uh, loving the Matthew series. Uh, we are uh, halfway is that right? Over halfway. Uh, I think. Yeah, uh, we um, yeah we are over halfway. What am I talking about? Uh, Thirty two is sixteen times. I don't two. Know. I'm not the math guy, so That's, neither am I. Clearly, uh, there's a reason we're both in pastoral ministry, I guess. So, uh, how 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 do you feel about the series? Yeah, it's good. I think it's um, it's about to change pretty significantly. I think after this. Yeah, you've mentioned this. Have I? Yeah, okay. a few times. <laughs> Um, I mean, next Sunday or this coming Sunday, significant confession of Christ that Peter makes. And then Matthew will record as Jesus begins to talk about his death and yeah. he begins to look forward to his death. And so, I mean, Peter in two weeks is going to be shocked that Jesus is talking about death. He's going to rebuke Jesus right after confessing him. But anyway, yeah, things are going to start heading towards Jerusalem. I mean, you know, all of our listeners know that in in the Gospels, time is very disproportionate. And so in Matthew... I mean, the last 10 chapters or so are all going to be in the final week mm. in the life of Jesus. Which a lot is, happens that last Yeah, week. a lot yeah. happens. A lot of very uh, large teaching sections that mm-hmm. take up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got a long way to go in some ways. In other ways, we're nearing the final section, I guess, yeah. of Matthew in Jerusalem. Yeah, so, I mean, the uh, first few chapters of Matthew cover 30-some-odd years, right? I mean, and then, and then we get a few of those ministry years, maybe two and a half years or so, and then time starts sort of slowing down in the gospel. <clears throat> uh, and that's where we get a lot of the um, sort of uh, preparation passages, I feel like. You know, uh, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and his resurrection, uh, but in particular, uh, his his death. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It feels like it takes them forever to finally kind of wrap their mind around who he, who he is, <laughs> what Peter's is going to do next week. And then once they've grasped who he is, now he has to turn their upside, their expectations upside down again. Right. Like yeah. he needs to convince them for sixteen chapters that he is the Messiah. And then now that they believe it, he's saying, "Well, it's not that kind. Of, it's not the Messiah you that you're exactly yeah, yeah. expecting." <laughs> so yeah. he's got to turn that upside <laughs> up on its head the rest right. of the way. Which where, um, <clears throat> which which is where you preach through Acts before here. I did. Uh, it's, it's actually where you begin. Is there that exact question? It's like, Lord, will you at this time? You know, so it's going to take a while and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the unique way of Pentecost to sort of convince them, mm-hmm. hey, no, 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 this is different than you think. Um, so speaking of uh, different than they think, that's actually a pretty good segue here into this sermon text. Normally people think Matthew 16, they think Peter, they think uh, on this rock, I shall build my church. Not yet, folks, that's next week. Um, but for now, uh, we are dealing with a continuation kind of getting tired of these Pharisees and scribes. Are you uh, yeah, yeah. saying the same stuff, asking for the same things? Um, and uh, <clears throat> uh, I just want to start here I, between your last sermon, which unfortunately we were not able to do a watering seeds on. And this one, uh, you mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, sort of geographically and spiritually, Jesus has been in another place with the Gentiles. Uh, now uh, he's obviously coming back into the area where uh, the Jewish people <clears throat> are more predominant. And so the, the Pharisees and scribes meet him. Um, and I thought there was a really interesting contrast 
between Jesus's approach with the Gentiles and really, I guess it's the Gentiles approach to Jesus. Then the Pharisees and scribes sort of meeting him. And it feels like this sort of immediate, like he's not even off the boat yet. Mm -hmm. And this delegation is waiting for him. Uh, Talk about that contrast for a little bit. Did you see that? Did you note that, that uh, those two reactions were a little different? Is there anything to make of that? Yeah. I mean, both of them are sort of wanting him to do something miraculous, Mm -hmm. but the Gentiles, but they actually have sick and, and lame and blind people. And they have a, an expectation for him to heal them, which is born out of faith for what he's done and who he says that he is. The Pharisees look similar to that on the surface, mm-hmm. but Matthew makes it clear for us that their demand for a sign is something so so faithless mm-hmm. and really something so... It's not just it's not just their lacking faith. It's sort of aggressively trying to undermine the teaching of Christ. Right. So the, the difference there being the unseen, the internal... Yeah. Approach. Yeah. Which I feel like, I mean, I don't want to overdo this. We've talked about the internal a lot on this podcast, but I'm starting to get the sense that Matthew really as a gospel likes to focus on that distinction. Like externally, there may be, you know, uh, uh, faith. Uh, Your first point was um, uh, subversive teaching begins with spiritual defiance and that defiance externally looks good, but internally that's where the problem is. Right. Um, yeah, and I think you're right, because much of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. Right. And so part of, I think, his way of getting his point across, that the Jewish audience cannot merely trust in the external signs of the covenant community, that they need to be reborn, they need to trust in this Messiah who has come. And so part of the contrast that Matthew sets up is a Gentile community is sort of, that. that's where the examples of faith are coming from. The centurion back in chapter 8, the woman back in chapter 14, the people being healed uh, at the end of 15 with the feeding of the 4,000. So all of this is showing us the people that don't have the external but do have the internal, the faith in Christ. And the contrast to the Pharisees and Sadducees, and in a different sense, but still kind of in contrast to the disciples who are called those of little faith, that it's, it's driving home the point, the centrality of faith in the Christian life and yeah. following this Messiah. It's not external, it's internal. So the thing that struck me in, in that way <clears throat> is uh, your explanation of the sign mm-hmm. or the request or the test really uh, 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 in the request for the sign. And you, you broke it down in three ways. Jesus's response was you can't interpret the signs because you refuse to interpret the signs. So you're only given one sign, the sign of Jonah, um, which uh, this is Jesus's repetition sort of of this uh, from earlier. I had the privilege of preaching that passage. Um, and uh, and I, I just made the point there that uh, there's sort of this implication that, and you won't even believe that uh, when that happens, which is true. Um, so there is a sense in which, uh, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking through how we handle the, the signs, or if I could say it this way, how we handle the word of God that we've been given. Because I think there is something, there is a an impulse in the Pharisees that is good, that they are using and manipulating for bad ends. And that is sort of what Paul tells us later in the New Testament to do, which is to test the spirits, right? To go back to the word, to examine everything according to the scriptures. We talked uh, in our bonus episodes about the Bereans, right? As they examine the preaching of the word. That's a good impulse, right? You're not discouraging people from, from saying like, okay, if my pastor says something, you know, I need to believe him or whatever, right? <clears throat> but Jesus is very clearly showing, no, you've you've completely undermined the scriptures and the supposed signs you've been looking for. Because enough signs, I, f- I feel like enough signs have happened in Jesus' yeah, right. life. Right? Right. Like he was born in Bethlehem, right. born of a virgin, uh, his whole baptism, right? Um, I guess they wouldn't have known technically about maybe the the, the interactions with Satan yet. Um, until the Gospels were were published, perhaps. Um, but then just all of the healing, right? Um, all of that uh, put together really only points to one Old Testament reality, and that is Jesus is the Messiah. Um, so what does that tell us about our own interaction with the signs and the Bible? Yeah. How important is that as we do something similar? I mean, obviously... We don't have somebody parading around saying, you know, they're the Messiah or Jesus returned. 
at least not this year. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, uh, but we do have a lot of people out there teaching things. Uh, a lot of people out there that we ought to examine according to the scriptures. How do we avoid uh, in our own lives this spiritual defiance uh, by sort of sticking to signs and not not believing the good teaching in front of us? Yeah, yeah, that's a lot there. I, th- yeah. I think when it comes to, I think it's two different things to examine Christ when he's standing right in front of you versus right. examining ministers of Christ because the measure of their faithfulness is directly related to how true it is to what Christ, who Christ is and what right. Christ has done. Right. I, I do think, I mean, something that came to my mind is just the spirit behind it all because Jesus, he gives signs to prove who he is mm-hmm. because there's a sense that we we do need them. Mm-hmm. God continues to give us signs and seals uh, and our in the sacraments and our theology tells us that's because we're weak people and we need them. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between us struggling to trust Christ and God condescending to us to give us help, versus us saying, "Well, I'm not going to trust you unless and until you right. do X, Y, and Z." Right, right. And so I think it's a it's a posture of, well, I guess to steal my own word, a posture of defiance right. versus a posture of dependence. Right. Yeah. If we are depending upon Him, and man, we're going to follow you, Jesus. We'd love some help. Yeah. <laughs> versus, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna take another step until you do this. Yeah. So, I think that that's directly related to our relationship with Christ. Now, you, you were asking about the idea of Bereans of testing the spirits uh, of us having a posture towards sort of religious people and words and language around us, right? And how we need to be discerning of that. Yeah. that that's kind of the second part of that question, right? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's sort of the inverse of where you end the sermon, right? We're going to talk about subversive teaching, but it's sort of what happens when the teaching is good, but that defiance comes out in my life. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a level of discernment because, yeah, this is, I guess it's a hard question. I mean, wh- where's, our, where's our heart at when we hear other Christian teachers, other Christian, I mean, some of us are so undiscerning Anything that's got a Bible verse on it, we just think it must be part of the kingdom of God. Right. Neither of us, others of us are so sort of aggressively skeptical that if it doesn't come from my exact theological tradition, I just mm-hmm. dismiss it out of hand. Yeah. So, I think seminary students, early seminary students, I, I know I'm guilty of this. I was guilty of this in early seminary, but uh, are particularly prone to this sort of show me where Calvin says that, right? Or something like that. Um, and unless you can, then I'm not going to believe it. Um, <clears throat> you know, um, meanwhile, I can point to a lot of things in Calvin that I think a lot of us actually don't believe. Um, right. as, as amazing as John Calvin was and, and really is in our tradition, right? There is something to that attitude that that pervades uh, and persists yeah. in our lives. I mean, maybe I would say just as we're evaluating both of these things, if we're skeptics or if we're sort of more gullible people, of course, all my listen, all of our listeners are thinking, "Well, I'm perfectly balanced on these things." But, I mean, <laughs> just like a, you and I are thinking, right? right. <laughs> I mean, the attitude behind it is is dependence upon the Lord. Yeah. Right. And so, if we're hearing some teaching, and I guess we'll get into this later about discernment, uh, but ultimately, our dependence is upon the Lord. It's not yeah. on my my own filter. It's not on a Bible verse smacked onto it. It's not on right. The, the right Bible verse that's tagged onto it. Uh, it's sort of what is my posture towards the Lord and how he works with his people? Yeah. Is it one of defiance or one of dependence? Yeah, it's really good. I, um, I was going to ask you for maybe some specific examples, but I'll tell you what went in through my head and maybe we can use that as a jump off point. Um, I think I've told this story to a few folks here at Covenant Reform before, but a moment of spiritual defiance that I remember in my life was when Madeline and I lost our first child. And um, I remember I was on the phone with a buddy and like the whole thing, you know, I was ordained. I was a PCA teaching elder at the time. So, you know, we're not immune to this. But uh, the the whole time on, on the phone with my buddy, I was just accusing God, you know. And ultimately it came down to through that experience, I learned that despite what my eyes and what my feelings told me in the moment, that I truly genuinely believed before that moment that I loved Madeline more than he did. And that's just not true, right? I mean, theologically, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have admitted that. Sort of externally, I wouldn't have admitted that. But deep in my heart of hearts, like, I definitely thought that. And that experience of that defiance coming out in a moment of hardship was really eye-opening to me. The Lord used that to graciously, in many ways, uh, reveal that posture and attitude that uh, I don't think anyone could have 
could have told me existed. Mm. Um, I don't think anyone could have really revealed that level of defiance uh, in my life where it was like, yeah, I've got everything under control. I'll handle Madeline, you handle everybody else type Mm. thing, right? I'll handle my family and my business, you know, that sort of thing, which ultimately is just arrogance, right? Which is obviously what we see from the Pharisees and the scribes here. So um, uh, I don't know if that was maybe explicitly what you had in mind when you were talking about defiance, but I just say that story to reveal, you know, that, that all of us somewhere deep down have a tendency toward an attraction to spiritual defiance, mm-hmm. which ultimately comes from unbelief yeah, or disbelief, maybe, uh, uh, stemming back to the, the, the lie that we believed when we ate the fruit. That yeah. we can be like him. We don't need him. Yeah, I think right? uh, you know part of that application, and I might not have made this as clear as I wanted to, was was really to be thinking about who, who are the unbelievers in the room with us. True. And how, how are yeah. I'm wanting the Lord to convict them that they think their three questions that you know those two Christians they've asked can't answer are the silver yeah, bullets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I just remember, I just had conversations with people, and they sort of they've they've latched on to these two verses that don't line up with each other. Yeah. Or these Until you can tell me true. how James and Paul right. don't right. contradict each other. I could never believe. Right. Or something like right. That. And yeah. you know, we had the same, a similar professor in apologetics and seminary. And I just remember him helpfully walking through that when we are discussing these matters with unbelievers, and this is for all of our church members, you're going to face people. that are going to bombard you with these questions that, that you can't eat. How many times did the, yeah. did the rooster crow, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. or how many donkeys how many were, there? were there? Yeah. yeah it's is, like, they're everywhere. Yeah. And, and at one level we should, we should kindly try to answer those questions. You say, I don't know. Let me talk to my pastor. And your yeah. pastor was like, I don't know. Let me read a commentary. <laughs> like, so I think it's legitimate on that level, but I, I, I want our members to recognize that when they're being, that when they're being asked these questions, there's probably another level going on there. Mm-hmm. And the person is using sort of their own proposed or, or proffered spirit, spiritual curiosity yeah. that isn't really curiosity. Right. And so recognizing... Some people are genuinely curious. Right. But, in but all, there is a group out there that is... They're not really curious. They're just well, right. defiant. And I our mean, members <laughs> as Christians would be helped to try to discern that yes. when you're talking with somebody. Yes. Are they asking a genuine question that you would like to help walk them through that they could trust the Lord more? Or or are they just throwing stuff in your face and you're going to spend a week getting the answer? As soon as you get the answer, they got another one they're just going to throw right in your face. A death of a thousand cuts. So I I wanted that to challenge people in the room who might not believe and to help us as as Christians think about what type of conversation am I having with other people and try to discern what type of questions are they asking? Yeah. And that contrast that we talked about between the Gentiles we just saw Mm -hmm. the week before and the Pharisees can help as sort of an interesting test case on some of that. Um, Okay. Well, uh, let's move into uh, your second point, which is that uh, uh, subversive teaching grows in spiritual dullness. Um. And, and here you sort of picked up on uh, the disciples. Um, my, uh, my only critique of you at this point is that you weren't, um, you weren't funny enough because uh, I, I just I thought this was hilarious, right? I mean, this whole exchange suddenly where, uh, you know, Matthew has to give us a little background information. Now, they didn't bring any bread. And Jesus comes in and is like, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes. And the disciples kind of look at each other like, what? We don't have any bread. What is he talking about? Like, did they poison us? Did they put something in our bread? Like, what's going on? Um, and, and you know, one of the things I thought was like, okay, uh, uh, sometimes metaphors just don't work because, you know, the metaphor I picked just didn't work. And sometimes metaphors just don't work because people don't pick it up. And I, I thought it was uh, just a really funny exchange. Is that okay? Can I laugh at the disciples a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. And it's fine. It's fine to find fault with me and... I remember getting that point and thinking, if I need to, I should have thought more about how to sell because the it's kind of an awkward interaction, and Jesus answers it on two different levels, and so I think, I don't think everybody that reads it necessarily laughs when they sure, read it, and, I, sure. and and so yeah, I wish I'd done a better job of bringing that out, but I, I do think it's definitely appropriate to laugh at that point of their inability to get the point, and it, yeah, I mean they're just. Well, it wasn't a genuine critique for the record from my perspective. But there's just hungry guys who are stuck on 
Yeah, <laughs> stuck on some food, and they can't they can't think of anything else. Yeah, is is it Luke's gospel where it explains after one of these feedings, like people followed Jesus across the sea or something like that, and Jesus is like, "No, you came here for food, but I have something better than food." Yeah, is that Luke? I or, can't remember. It's either Luke or Mark. Yeah, um, obviously, uh, but uh, 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 I've always sort of laughed at that too. Um, and I think there may be a similar approach in the disciples here, uh, where, where they're still thinking about food and Jesus is like, okay, first of all, I can deal with food, right? right? Like we're, you were there both times now where I've dealt with food. So stop thinking about food, right? You're stop thinking with your stomachs. Um, but, the, uh, so let's talk about this dullness. Then the, the dullness comes from on some level, the, the weakness of the flesh, right? Um, comes, comes from the, 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 the stomach, um, taking over the mind, but the dullness also, uh, as you mentioned, came back or, or came up because of their little faith, right? Talk to us a little more about what Jesus is really teaching here in in sort of leveling that against them. You you have little faith. Yeah, I mean, the second time he's used that phrase to refer to them. I mean, that one was to Peter, but I think sort of in a representative role of them as little faith. I mean, I think what it comes down to is he keeps doing things in front of them and yet sort of their perception of him is slow to catch up to that. Yeah. And so they're not, they're like a couple of miracles behind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they're not believing. It's like, he, what do you mean bread? Like you just walked on water. I'm right. still kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. fixated that's, on that one. That's right. That's right. So I, I think that that little faith is the idea that, they're not laying hold of and believing that he is who he says he is. And so it's not that they don't believe, but they're not fully believing in all that who he is or all that he's revealed himself to be up to that point. So their dullness in that way is somewhat their own fault. Yeah. Is it a cause or is it a symptom or is it just a synonym? I, I don't quite know. Yeah. I mean, on an initial read of this, I personally am confused. I'm just like, they, they just don't understand. Right. And I appreciated, you, you know, <clears throat> you showing the patience of Jesus in your, your introduction with your dad and the math. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting because my first read of this is like, Jesus kind of sounds a little harsh right now. You know, and then I read it again and I'm like, well, maybe, okay, Jesus is not harsh. But I'm not going to do that. You know, and then I read it again and I'm like, okay, Jesus is actively and accurately calling something out in the disciples' lives, mm-hmm. in in pointing this dullness out to them, and it's it's not <clears throat> like you can't just you know we we laugh about there are a couple of miracles behind, but it's not just that they're just, they're distracted, and it's not just that they're hungry, it's that there is a real issue of spiritual discernment going on, mm-hmm. and Jesus uh, uh, rightly I think is is kind of saying on some level. The son of God is in front of you, teaching you, and you're still not really listening to me. Uh, <clears throat> so what can the disciples do from this point forward besides listen to Jesus? You know, that's, that's where my mind runs to, is how do, we, how do we take this dull disciple and sharpen him? Uh, there's obviously some, redempt- you and I would agree, there's some redemptive historical things that have to happen, like Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, you know, the, the picture of the apostles in, in the book of Acts is wildly different than this. Um, but there are also, are also things that they could be doing that we could be doing to sharpen themselves. Mm-hmm. So what are those, some of those things? Yeah, I mean, in the sermon, I, I use the idea of discipleship, which is, which is interesting when you look at the patience and persistence of Jesus in this text. He, he doesn't really give a further explanation. He just tells them, it's not what you think it is. And then he repeats the point again. Right, right. Instead of... Which is sometimes all we need. Yeah, but then they make the connection between the leaven and the teaching. Right. Which he doesn't actually make the connection for them. They pick that up. Right. um, And I got to think like 90% of the people who are hearing you preach this sermon and you're getting to this point of like, what is the leaven? What is the leaven? What are we all thinking? Paul, leaven, sin, right? I mean, that is just a huge category uh, in, in Paul. And so I'm waiting for the sin drop, and you're like, no, 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 it's the teaching of the Pharisees. And like, okay, there's overlap and there's connection there. Um, but it is interesting that they 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 make that connection instead yeah. of Jesus giving it, showing what? 
they had the capability mm. to make that connection. Uh, uh, they just needed Jesus to say it again. Yeah, I guess, I guess. so. It's sort of, yeah, rule out all the things it couldn't be. So, he's, you know, it's maybe he's helping them. Right. You know, there's three possible conclusions. It's not these two guys. <laughs> what else could it be? <laughs> uh, so Matthew lines it up for us right after uh, the teaching of the Pharisees, the demanding of the sign. And I, I mean, I wonder if they're making, I don't know how much time's passed, you right. know? So yeah. I don't, I don't know if Matthew's setting these up as a narrator to, to press on the contrast or if they're fully aware of the contrast. Um, yeah. I mean, you ask a great question about, I mean, I, I guess the way that I would apply it today is sort of what do we do when Jesus says things that are hard for us mm. or that are confusing for us, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I mean, the normal answer, of course, is to pray. I don't fault the disciples for saying, wait, okay, let's pray about this. Yeah. Before, you know, well, I, like I, in the moment, they, yeah. you know, uh, what's interesting is they don't even really do that. Do they, 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 in actuality, they just talk amongst themselves. Like he's not even there. Am I crazy? Yeah. Like it's like none of, I mean, maybe they did. The text doesn't tell us, but the text seems to present a picture that none of them were like, Hey, what's he talking about? And Peter goes, Hey Jesus, um, we don't understand and we're sorry. Can you, can you help us out? They don't even really do that. Um, so much as they're just like, you know, uh, the, the, the people in the back of the classroom who don't understand the lesson of the professor, but then don't have the courage to ask. So there's kind of like, that's missing too. Yeah. From this. yeah, yeah. I don't know kind of what, what's going through their minds when he says that. They just kind of all, you know, give him the blank stare. They're like, yeah, so what about that bread? Yeah. Jesus. So they're all like, wait, who's got the bread? Right. <laughs> um, and Jesus is just like, y'all. Because um, <clears throat> Jesus would use the word y'all for the record. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I think uh, the, just a few things that jumped out at me. Um, uh, sometimes as a pastor, I feel like I, I'm saying the same things over and over and over. Um, so I've picked up this language from a professor of mine and, and you've ribbed me for it. And I appreciate that, but it, I, I've sort of developed certain speeches. Like, you know, you got a baptism speech, you got a, a church membership speech, stuff like what that. What do you mean I mean, by a speech? You mean a canned answer? Not a canned answer so much as like, I can riff on it for a few minutes and, and, and point to specific scriptures and stuff like that. And you do it so often they, you, you sort of learn the the good progression of the scriptures to walk people through and that sort of thing. Because you get a lot of the same questions in pastoral ministry, right? Well, the same is true in preaching. I feel like in preaching, I'm saying a lot of the same things. And then initially that discouraged me until I read more deeply through the prophets who were saying the same mm-hmm. thing again and again and again. And I realized how much I need the same thing again and again and again. And so the repetition of Jesus just repeating the same phrase again. Uh, and not even there, right? We talked about the sign of Jonah for the mm-hmm. for the the Pharisees and scribes. Um, Jesus is is really just hitting a point of just repeating himself in this little section before we move on to like the heavy, heavy, heavy stuff that's about to come. And it it, it is a reminder that that uh, in order to sharpen myself, I need to go back to the same source, back to the same material, back to the same categories, the same stuff, and hear it again. Um, not to to overdo the metaphor, but uh, I've sort of gotten gotten into sharpening knives recently, and you literally just sit there, <laughs> over and over again and again in the same way, in the same possible stroke pattern to get the thing sharp. Right? Um, there's something to that, I think. Uh, 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 in in Christian discipleship, is don't be afraid of repetition and, and doing it again. But the other thing is, <clears throat> um, and this I think connects back to your first point: ask good questions. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, uh, don't ask accusatory questions, kind of like you mentioned. You know, there are people like, well, what about G- uh, uh, James and Paul, right, or whatever. But um, if you don't understand, ask questions. Right. We love questions. Our elders love answering questions. We love getting materials and books and stuff out there. We have a book table for that, that sort of thing. So um, uh, I think that's another thing to do is is have just have the courage to ask. Um, you know, I I guarantee you, we asked. Uh, a similar question worded worse to our professors in seminary. So, uh, or somebody did around us. So we're, we're happy to answer those questions. So, yeah, um, and let me just introduce that just an idea here under the idea that, um, we need to recognize 
our proneness to being spiritual dull, spiritually dull. And mm-hmm. I, I think that just takes a heavy dose of humility yeah. for individual Christians yeah, to yeah. say, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah. Um, and the because, longer you go without doing it, the more dull it becomes, right? right? Yeah, because dullness could look like having a canned answer for everything. True. Right? And True. It, it, somehow, especially in the Reformed Church, we can have this wrong equation of the person talks enough and, and is smart, talks a lot and is smart, therefore they're spiritually mature. Right. Uh, and so, man, if, I'm gonna, if I want to be spiritually mature, I need to stop at, asking questions. Right. Or I need to, you know, I just need to have yeah, answers yeah. for everything. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got a great interaction with uh, an older, wiser man in the Reformed tradition. Uh, and <clears throat> in that interaction, I just I ask him uh, a question about my preaching and teaching and ministry. And, and his response was basically, if you ever stop learning, you're letting your congregation down. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think that's true just generally the Christian life. Uh, we're all constantly learning by experience, but by returning back to the Word again and again. Uh, all right, so let's uh, let's jump into this this third one, and I think this is probably where um, uh, I personally felt a huge payoff in your sermon. I feel like I I wanted to rush into your third point. I wanted your third point to be your first point, um, and uh, I appreciate that you made me wait for it, but you also set it up in a way for me to deal with myself a lot before I got here, uh, and that is that subversive teaching uh, 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 dies through spiritual discipleship. That's not true. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, it is. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so uh, uh, behind the curtain, I've got your notes in front of me, so I, I can quote you word for word here. But um, uh, so uh, here, again, this is what I want because I feel like we in the Reformed tradition in particular examine teaching like nobody's business. Right, we're, we're um, I think in some really good ways, really critical about some stuff. Uh, there's some songs in worship that uh, I don't think ought to be sung in worship because, uh, uh, you know, whoever wrote them were not as critical as they should have been about those lyrics, right? Um, I think uh, there are certain Bible studies that I wouldn't recommend, certain teachers I wouldn't recommend, and I think that's a good thing. But on the other hand, uh, I do think, and this I hope is not super controversial, that also leads to a tendency of friendly fire. Um, and, and I think uh, uh, the PCA in particular, I, I feel like as soon as I got into the PCA, it's just sort of, you know, whizzing criticisms, you know, past my face. And I'm like, wait, who are we aiming at here? Um, and so, like I said, I appreciate that you didn't start here, um, but I do want you to elaborate a little more on a specifically you mentioned that we we shouldn't underestimate their ca- their capacity for deception are there really people out there who are maliciously trying to deceive us so th- this is the answer is yes yeah but the longer answer is this is a hard category for me to believe because uh, i mean i know i believe in total depravity but i also tend to believe that everyone around us operates out of good motives um, and you know this, we, you know, we talk about people and issues and situations and, and I, I don't know what it is about me, but I generally assume people are trying to operate out of a, a good, something good they want to do, or, you know, they have, there's reasons behind what they're doing that aren't, they're just a sinner right. <laughs> or wanting right. to sin. Yeah. And I do think, I mean, theologically we are, it's accurate to say we're very, very complicated people. And we always have a multitude of, of influences, wor- influences working on us. Uh, and our good motives are often mixed with bad motives. So anyway, definitely more nuanced than like yeah, a black. All those white. Yeah. nuances aside, uh, I, I, I don't. I just the amount of people that know what they're doing is leading someone away from heaven and into hell. I think that is a smaller group, but I do think it's a a, a growing size group of people that see it's their mission to lead people away from orthodoxy. Mm. Uh, or, or historic orthodoxy. That's a really good say. distinction. Uh, uh, it, it's not so much that their their belief is, hey, I don't want you in heaven. It's, hey, some of your beliefs are antiquated. Mm-hmm. Some of your beliefs are are hurtful, hateful, harmful, somethingful, right? Uh, uh, why why do you think that's a growing trend? Uh, yeah, growing. 
I do think it's a growing, I mean, I think in any culture or nation that is less and less populated by Orthodox Christianity, but still has the, the flavor or the aroma of religion. Yeah. And I still think, yeah. I think in our country, religion is a very, very important topic. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have, I mean, you all, you've always had a version of liberal Christianity. I mean, that's sure. not always, but I mean, yeah, in yeah. The, the big mainline churches going back, you know, in the yeah. modernist versus fundamentalist controversies, the mid 1900s. So I but think there is something unique happening right now, right? I mean, if you think about the, um, uh, I know you, you've listened to uh, the, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. They have a whole episode dedicated to this. Uh, I've never heard this until the last few years, but this new idea, maybe it's not new, but this new term, at least to me, called deconstruction and deconstructing our faith, right? Um, and they get some people on there connected to the PCA to, to talk about how uh, 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 deconstruction or deconstructing their faith is good. And I don't think that everyone trying to do that is trying to lead us away from orthodoxy. But I do think that there are some questions about orthodoxy happening in deconstruction. Um, is that fair? Yes. Is that a fair analysis? Yes. So when I think of growing, I guess you're right. Um, you know, the liberal, theologically liberal impulse has been around a long time. Um, and maybe maybe it's just in my circles right now. But I've, I've got several friends who are asking a lot of questions that I'm just kind of like scratching my head. Like five years ago, you never would have asked this. Hmm. What's going on? Hmm. Um, and a lot of it isn't even really doctrinal. I feel like theological liberalism was more of an academic enterprise, you know, uh, like let's look at the Hebrew, let's look at the Greek. It doesn't actually mean what you think it means, you know, yada, yada. Whereas this is more like, uh, let's look at how that teaching when you were 10, 12, 14 made you feel. Hmm. And that's not good. That feeling is not good, which is probably true. So let's look at the teaching instead of looking at how that teaching was presented. Does that, have, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's so that's why I say growing, is I do think that that is uh, uh, something happening now in evangelicalism. Yeah, and there's yeah. something unique about evangelicalism, which divorces your personal experience from the institutional church. That's true. And I do think that's a big element in deconstruction. That's fair. Which is, yeah, you throw out the, well, you throw out the, the bathwater, but not the baby. Right, right, and, right, right. And our warning would be, yeah, you'd probably be very careful. You maybe throw out yeah. the baby as well. Don't throw out the baby's foot, but keep the rest <laughs> of them either. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think to the idea, again, with the Pharisees and Sadducees, them demanding a sign, is that religion is sort of always a category, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think atheism per se is ever going to quite dominate here. I mean, ever. But even atheists are obsessed with religion. Right. And right. so as far as, th th there's always going to be some, type of religious language yeah oh, and yeah. so to that that's what i mean the capacity to deceive by using religious language yeah right and so we're not discerning if all we're looking for is oh they said god oh they said jesus i mean mm -hmm. i can't tell you how many times people have talked about going to another church or, or family members going to another church and they've said something to me like well it's a little different from how we do it but i'm really grateful they preach the gospel and i go look at it and i'm thinking that you think you're being discerning. You're actually doing the exact opposite. Mm. You are you are being easily deceived. I'm not saying if you're not like us, that you're not preaching the gospel. That's not what I'm saying at of all. Course, I'm of just course. saying I see more people that think they have a personal capacity to discern what's going on out there, but they really don't. Yeah. And, and they're sorry. I'm going to the other point here, but their overemphasis on their own ability to discern is actually leading them astray. Yeah. Yeah. Be, because they're not aware that others can be deceiving them yeah. with religious language. Well, you know, it's, it's hard not to talk about the other point. Yeah, I mean, they're two sides of the same coin. Right, because a part of the reasons these people are so uh, easily deceiving is that we are too easily deceived, right? I mean, uh, they get away with it a lot, right? We're not just talking like, I mean, I think it's easy to put like prosperity gospel, people just in it for money, that sort of stuff. I think it's easy to put them in that category. But I think, that um, well, I appreciate what you said earlier. That it's not just a binary choice. It's not just black and white. Like there, there are sometimes people with good motives and bad motives mixed into the same thing, and so the whole ministry can seem good and can can be good for a while, but then it goes off the rails relatively quickly in terms of time. You know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years in the future. Um, 
And so, so the, you know, uh, uh, the, f- the first step of discernment is recognizing there are people out there who are deceiving and trying to deceive me and trying to deceive me at those different levels, right? There are some people who just definitely want us to walk away from Jesus. There are people who don't want us to walk away from Jesus formally, but informally through, you know, theological liberalism and, you know, attacking orthodoxy. Um, and then there are even people, uh, I think below that who want to just sort of change our beliefs towards more of an easy feel good type, uh, Christianity, which, you know, uh, Hey, Jesus can save from that too. That's true. But Jesus does call his disciples toward rigorous discipleship, uh, because that's the only way we get obedience us through rigorous discipleship. So let's riff on this, the second point a little bit. What are some, some, uh, maybe some symptoms and then maybe some, uh, uh, so diagnose it for us, but then give us, uh, give us some remedies. I mean, honestly, it's the Berean mindset Mm -hmm. run wild, right? That I'm a Berean, so I can turn the pages of my Bible and I can discern anything. Yeah. Well, that's actually anti-Berean because (laughs) what does Paul teach later in scripture that he that Jesus gives later in the book of Acts, he gives elders as under shepherds yep. to guard the flock. Yeah. I love turning people to uh Acts 15 on this point. Yeah, sure. It, and the reason I love turning them to Acts 15 isn't because it's a church council. It's not because, you know, I think, hey, that's the first presbytery meeting, which it is. But <clears throat> it's because uh it's it's because uh the question is so ludicrously simple to Christians today. Do you need to be circumcised to oh, be right. saved? Right? Like it's just, this should be uh, uh, half of a chapter in one of Paul's epistles and be done, right? But that teaching had gained so much popularity during the ministry of the apostles themselves that they call uh, each other together. The elders of the church gather together in Jerusalem with the, the apostles and have to discuss it. And deal with it. And so if if the apostles with the elders of the church are willing to, to sit there and discuss something that to us is so seemingly simple, why do we think we don't have to? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Uh, uh, and so, you know, there um, there's just a lot packed into that. But uh, say, say, say more on, on how we can remedy that situation. Yeah, I mean, I think the example you give is a church council. Uh, and I do believe, um, I mean, uh, when you're talking, I was thinking about the topic of, of the Trinity yeah, and how we can say today, you know, 2000 years after New Testament was written. Yeah. I mean, there's some certain pretty obvious things we can say yeah. are true or not true yeah, about, yeah. uh, the, the triune persons. And yet we can look back at the church councils and say that none of this stuff was obvious. It had to be worked through. It had to right. be sort of, right. sort of hammered out. And mm-hmm. so while we do want to maintain the spirit of Bereans, and I do want to emphasize that we do have the ability to discern as individuals. When it comes to some of this major theological stuff, the doctrine, the, the, the stuff that's taught, which Jesus is particularly warning about, he does give teachers and he does give Presby- he does give sorry church government structures, which I believe is Presbyterianism, Amen. Uh, as a means to guard and protect the flock. That's right. Uh, and and this is not you and me saying we're the experts. Listen to us. It's us saying when someone asked me the other day about a split off denomination. Uh, is that a cult? And my and my my answer was, well, let's go let's go back and see what the church historically has said about right. that. These certain groups, the church has declared a cult. These right. other groups, they haven't. And so, I believe one of the first questions we need to look at is church history, big picture wise. I think we are blessed that the PCA, our denomination, has very specific documents that say things that are what are true or not true. We have we we produce study reports. To sort of show the, 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 what the predominant view of the yep. denomination at that time on this yep. topic, and so there's any number of topics you can go look at and find a study report and yep. say sort of what has the church said on this? What has the church decided not to say on this? Right. Because we can't be authoritative about it. Right, right. The the biggest symptom, honestly, I think of this uh, is a generational thing. And I really think it, a lot of it. And the example I use was social media. Right. I mean, we have. There's always been celebrity pastors, but man, it is so rampant right now. And these pastors that everybody knows that have an incredible amount of following, that they don't know who you are. They don't know your name. You've never met them before. Uh, but somehow you 
have the ability to, in your living room or in your commute, discern whether they're speaking truth or not. Mm-hmm. And one of the number one categories we would have for discernment of, of speakers is ordination. Yeah. And, you know, in the, the council of elders and yep. in a, you know, a denomination that will hold them accountable. So I'm sort of going on a rabbit trail here, but we should listen to other preachers. That's not a problem. It's okay to list, to read parachurch organizations and yeah. publications and stuff like that. Um, but just sort of blindly say, well, you know, I heard a sermon from such and such on such and such a topic. Uh, uh, and he said it that way. You didn't say it that way. Therefore, right. Beginning to draw conclusions like that. That's really where the problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen, I mean, I'm guilty of this. Like I said, I mean, this has been a process for me to learn, uh, because early on it's like, okay, well show me that in Calvin. Right. Uh, I, I, that was a real thing I said multiple times. So, um, you know, obviously this takes time and I'm not even hundred percent there yet, but I do appreciate you bringing up the denomination in particular, because I do think, um, you know, we do a PCA general assembly recap every year in the summer here at Covenant Reformed. And I love those moments because um, those are moments where we can take big theological topics, bring them back to the congregation, and show them how the church is sort of working these things out. You know, if, if anyone's been paying attention, obviously, you know that the PCA has been dealing with questions about human sexuality. And, you know, uh, I know a lot of guys uh, who go to General Assembly and they're like, man, if we could just cut overtures in half, right, or whatever— and, and I, I get that, right? Like procedurally, I understand. Like it does take a lot of time and, you know, we have time limits and stuff like that because we know that if we don't, we'll just run amok. But the, the, the reason I love it so much is that's actually where we do most of our theology as the church is in that overtures discussion. No, I don't like that overture because James 4 says, right, and that sort of stuff. I, I wish more debates went that way on overtures, but I think that that's, that's where we do a lot of that work. And hopefully one day, 10, 15, 20, 25, 50, a hundred years in the future, they'll look back at the minutes of the general assembly this year and say, well, this is so obvious. Why didn't Mm -hmm. they just, and hopefully we've done a good enough job as a church to make it obvious for them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and so really, uh, uh, you know, don't just trust us individually, but trust us because we put ourselves under the accountability to be corrected by the presbytery, by the, the assembly. Pastors uh, uh, generally try and get a big library for this reason too. We want to hear what other people have to say. We use commentaries when we preach to make sure it's not just my thoughts in our sermons. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of just prevalent in our lives that we hope then can trickle down. And let me add to that lives. is that yeah. that category does not remove the responsibility on individuals to be discerning. Yeah. Just because your pastor has a big library and right. part of a denomination doesn't sort of remove that category that right. you just do whatever he says. Absolutely not. Like we want you to exercise that category. Absolutely. We want you to do it well and do right. it wisely and do it patiently because there, there is a time and you know, as well as I do that everything we've just said, that whole system is corrupt. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And you got to get out. Absolutely. And, and the PCA wouldn't exist if we didn't have exactly Berean ch- pew sitting Bereans right. who looked at the whole system That's and it. after decades yeah. of patience, and, and trying to work through it. And trying to work through it, yeah. that the whole thing's corrupt. I'm out. Yeah, we got to start a new one. Right. And that's that right. only happens when individuals are exercising that their gift of discernment. Right. So, uh, yeah, and, 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 and that's really what I mean. I, I genuinely mean like that. Hopefully that spirit of I need other people to help me think through these things trickles down. Uh, because one thing that, that is going to, I think, frustrate a lot of people uh, 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 at least in my ministry is I'm not very prone to give very specific advice. Um, I think internally I'd love to, but I think it's wise for pastors to stick to, okay, well, here are the principles the Bible lays out in this scenario. Let's use the Bible to use, to, to, to make that decision. Um, I think pastors should generally shy away from very specific advice, uh, because, um, what works for me and my family may not work for another family and that's okay. Um, but we could be using the same principles. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you're hitting on is the category of what I'd call theological triage. This is what presbyteries and denominations help us because they say things very clearly. Right. And they say other things with some wiggle room and then they don't say anything else at all. I mean, a a common example in the the confession of faith allows for a multitude of different views on the millennium. Yep. Right. And so you have people in PCA churches and ministers 
that hold to different views of the millennium. That's one version of theological triage about mm-hmm. saying that that does not divide us. That issue is not of the level that divides the church. It's certainly not of the level that declares who's in and out of the kingdom. Right. And so I think we're helping folks to start because something that I see in popular teachers of the last 10 years, let's say, is that they're elevating third level issues to first level issues yeah. in an angry way that's yeah. gaining a following. Yeah. We're going to go storm that hill. We're going to stand on this rock and we're not going to move. And then those of others would point out and say, well, you know, that, that person doesn't even believe the historic view of the Trinity. Yeah. Oh, but they're, they're forceful on this topic right. or whatever. And right. so the, that so taking a real first level issue and yeah. sort of making it a third level issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Inverting the whole pyramid. Yeah. yeah. So generally we would say, you know, uh, orthodox justification by grace through faith, first level issue. You know, we had a reformation about it, right? Um, you can generally, you know, match up history with a lot of these trinity, divinity, full divinity and humanity of Jesus, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. The inerrancy of scripture. Exactly. Then you get down to second level issues. And, you know, we're talking about church government, baptism. So gospel preaching, good churches can disagree with us on church government and stuff like that. But we think that they're, you know, not applying the sacraments correctly or governing themselves as wisely as scripture tells us to or whatever. And then we get down to the third tertiary issues, which is stuff like you and I might disagree on, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, you know, um, I'm struggling to think of one, which Music is good. style, maybe. Yeah, stuff like that, you know. But I'm even thinking, uh, you know, like millennial views is, is probably the, the best one, right? Where it's sort of like, yeah, we can have some fun talking about millennial views. Uh, but uh, but in the end, like, I can serve here at Covenant Reform if you and I are not both millennial or post-millennial or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're different ones, like, that's not going to affect us, mm-hmm. you know, in our ministry very much. So, well, brother, that, um, <clears throat> that's a whole lot here. Um uh, that turned out to be a, a longer podcast. I appreciate our listeners sticking with us through this one. Uh, and I hope uh, that this has been helpful for you. Um, we uh, do uh, pray for you now um, uh, and uh, regularly that you would be discerning and that you would pray for us, that we would exercise similar discernment, uh, that we would be true Bereans, taking these things back to the scriptures, uh, which you so faithfully preached to us. I'm looking forward to the uh, upcoming sermon on Peter and the Rock this Sunday. Making, making a face over there. Big text. Big text. Looking forward to our discussion <laughs> next week. Uh, but until then, brother, you take care. All right. Thanks, Jim. See you. Man.